You got, uh, just very quickly, I would love for us just to thank the band for leading us in worship, if you don't mind doing so. Yeah, that's great. Uh, here's why. They, it's a bit of a thankless job what these guys do and what our guys in the booth do because they get together early and they go through songs and they work through songs they work on them individually and I always want to make sure that we honor them so grateful for you guys doing that please let them know outside of this scenario that you appreciate their work as well if you have your Bibles I want you to open that to Psalm 1 Psalm 1 and today we're going to continue in our series Prayer Matters and we're going to talk about what it means for our lives to be shaped in such a way that prayer moves us forward that we are continually seeing that we are God's people advancing into a kingdom of darkness and that we want to represent Him well and what it would look like and what it would mean for our lives to represent Him well. How does that life look? So I'm going to read through this twice. Uh, once as it reads in, I would imagine, most of your scriptures, and then once uh, replacing a word, uh, one time. Uh, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the counsel of... Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord... And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree. He is planted by a stream of water. He yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so. But they are like chaff that, chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. One more time. Happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Scoffers. But happy is the man who delights in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates both day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water. That yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not like this. But they are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wind will not stand, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, for the Lord knows the ways of the righteous, but the ways of the wicked will perish. Uh, let me pray over us. Jesus, we thank you for today. And we thank you that your word is true. And that we come to it uh, to receive from you just nourishment. As you are the living water. Jesus, I pray as we look into this text today that what we hear from you will be something that helps us to see our place in our world and helps us to see what it means for us to be yours. We ask all this in your name, Jesus. And everyone says... The word blessed and the word happy are in a sense, interchangeable when you look at them in the Old Testament. 
until you look at context. There are certain things that make me happy. I would imagine that there are things that make you happy as well. Uh, there is a list of the 15 most influential candy bars in history. And on that list, you have some things that I would imagine have made you happy at some point or another. I'm going to read some of those to you. One of those is the Wonka bar, named after Willy Wonka. Uh, I'm hoping that's in reference to the... Um, the movie from back in the day and not the creepy movie with Johnny Depp that was made in 2006. The Milky Way, which is not named after the galaxy. It is named after a milkshake. The Baby Ruth, which is not named after the baseball player, though it was uh, pretty much tied to him for the majority of, uh, of it, his career. Everyone thinks that. The Nestle Crunch Bar. The Cadbury bar, which is transitioned into simply an egg. The Sharfin bar. The Granada chocolate. The strangest one on the list is called the chicken bar, which sounds absolutely disgusting. Can you imagine biting into a bar of chocolate and nougat and chicken? Uh, <laughs> the, the, it has gone out of existence. It's no longer sold, but one of the... Uh, the way that it was sold and the way that it was marketed was it's candy but good. <laughs> Alright. Uh, the Luna Bar and the Cliff Bar were given birth to by this. Uh, the Snickers Bar, which is one of my favorites uh, from uh, some of our childhood. We remember that it really satisfies you and for others of us know that it makes you look like that lady from the Golden Girls. <laughs> the Nestle Bar. The I'm, there's no way I'm saying this correctly uh, because I'm from Tennessee and we don't pronounce a lot of words correctly. Uh, the, the Toblerone bar, it's the triangle shaped candy bar, which means you have to put one on top of another to get an actual full size candy bar. Uh, so, <laughs> who needs half a candy bar? What a life. Uh, the Hershey bar and, and the number one uh, candy bar of all time is the Kit Kat bar. The most influential. And the reason for that is it makes you share. I don't like sharing candy bars. <laughs> Happiness is such a huge conversation for us. Everyone wants to be happy. We, we like to think through happiness. And when we really begin to look at the way that culture talks about happiness, we see that there are certain phrases that have been used over and over and over and over and over again. And these phrases tell us that happiness comes from within. Let me give you some examples of those. Uh, one's from Hamlet. To thine own self be true. And it must follow as the night, the day, thou canst not then be false to any man. Here's another one. Follow your heart. Go with your gut. Some of us have more to go with than others. So, we live culturally in a world that says that happiness comes from within. Yet we look into Scripture and it seems that that's not the case. And we really begin to look around us and we begin to find the people that we uh, notice are the happy, happiest or seem to be the happiest 
maybe we have to look at a different definition. So, so we look at this text and it starts by saying, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of scoffers, nor sits in the seat of or sits in the seat of or stands in the way of sinners nor sits in the seat of scoffers but his delight is in the law of the Lord. So right there we see that there's this joy that's given and we talked about that a little bit when we walked through the Sermon on the Mount that the idea of blessedness is a deep God-given joy that, that God has done something within us that could not happen without him. So blessedness again is that God does something within us that could not happen without him. So you look at this text and it says God's deep joy is given to those who walk not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. And if you'll notice what the psalmist has done here is he has walked us down a trail as to who our connections and who our relationships are with. If you've ever considered or reconsidered or remembered your high school career, you noticed that there were various levels of friendships that you would see around you. And you had your tier three friends, tier two friends, tier one friends. You had these certain, and I hate the word click because it sounds so strange, but you had these certain groups of people. However, you would see people operating outside of these relationships. And if you ever watch movies that help us to remember high school, there is always an image or imagery given to us that shows what happens when people from one group begin to interact with people from another group. So when you look at this text and it says to us the idea of the, those who would walk in the counsel of the wicked, it's the idea of you seeing someone and being in their company. And walking lets you know that you may just happen to be there in step with this person. But it moves closer and closer to us when you see that or stand in the way of sinners. This is not just you progressing forward with this person. This is you stopping and lingering. The, the word that is the, the most blatant in regards to relationships with those who are the wicked is that you would sit in the seat of scoffers. It reminds me of the cafeteria table in high school. What a weird place. Where you sit down to eat green beans and rectangular pizza. And drink milk out of a paper box. And you know the athletes sit at this table. And the, the not cool kids sit over here. And then you've got the cheerleaders that sit here. So you just have these tables. And there's never any overlap between them. To sit in the seat of scoffers. We know these words. We, we, we know what wicked is. It's a word we're familiar with. Or sinners. Well, we as those who have been around the church, and I'm looking around the room, but you guys are pretty much regulars. Scoffers is the idea that we would have a heart that laughs against the things of God. Deep joy is given to people who don't find their delight in these things. We know this about delight in a sense because where verse two, where verse 2 takes us blessed is the man and we remove all those things that we don't do 
whose delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates both day and night. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. The phrasing here, the psalmist tells us, is that we would find a joy not from within but from outside of us. That there is somewhere that we go so that our blessedness is assured and reassured. So questions that come to mind when you talk about this series of, of what prayer matters and why we would look at Psalms and why we look at the Word to, to shape our prayer. John Piper says this. He's a pastor. Uh, you, you've heard of him. Prayer and the Word are connected in such a way that if you disconnect them, both die. Let me sum up the connection between prayer and the Word in three ways. The Word of God inspires our prayer, it informs our prayer, and it incarnates our prayer, that gives life to our prayer. So when you read through this text that we would delight in the Lord, that we would meditate on His Word both day and night, I begin to look at me if I'm in my, my not so healthy place and sometimes that's where I am because I'm going to be honest with you, all the time honest. When I read through this text, I don't always find myself delighting and meditating Sometimes I go to God's Word out of duty and obligation. But what the writer here tells us is that God's people are to find delight in it and to meditate on it and not to look at Scripture as a chore. can't be the only person in here who ever finds myself in spaces where looking at scripture is a chore. We use words that would communicate that we think that sometimes. I've got to read my Bible. I have to do my quiet time. Side note, quiet time is such a weird phrase. It sounds like we're putting a child in time out. <coughs> Do we go to God's Word out of delight or out of duty? Is it something that we want to meditate on or is it something that we're obligated to? Now hear me, because our lives are so insane, there will be times where it is healthy for us to go to Scripture out of the latter, but more often than not, the joyful, God-given person, the person who has been, who has found joy not within themselves, but from that which is outside of them, there's delight there. It's hard to read your Bible. It's hard to pray sometimes, though. 
And here's why. We are not in a battle with flesh and blood, but we are in a continual battle with spiritual things. We are at war with things that are of this world. Here's how I know that. I am a fan of the University of Tennessee. And go balls. And what that means is as soon as we finish the previous season at seven and five, I began to research in my heart in my things that I research on, not just in my heart, because there's nothing about that there, but on my social media feed and on my web, I'm, I'm looking at the University of Tennessee. Who have we recruited? Who's coming to play for us? Who's going to wear that beautiful orange that no one else likes? And I can get lost in that for hours. Another example. So, if you've ever been lost in a book... Help me out. Who's a reader in here? Okay. So you sit down with a book and you plan to read two chapters, but you get so caught up in it that you're deep in the book. And you look at the clock and it's 2.30 in the morning and you've been forcing your eyes open. You brewed some coffee. Or maybe you're a fan of the Dallas Cowboys. And you've been researching every way this week how Ezekiel Elliott is not guilty? (laughs) Things that we can get lost in. Here's an easy one. How many of you have ever just gone to check your Facebook page and look up two hours later and you've looked at every picture of, of children you'll never see in real life? But the moment I sit down with this, does anyone text me? I need to check my email. I've been waiting to hear from the elders. They've been waiting to hear from me. The moment I sit down to pray, I'm too busy to pray. Delight and meditate. Not out of duty and obligation. So does that mean we should set up some safe places for ourselves? If we're going to be these blessed people in God's world, practically, how does that work? You know your schedule. I don't know your schedule. I don't even understand your jobs. But we have to begin to consider, and I have to continually consider, am I putting myself in a place where when I go to Scripture and I look to hear from God as I look in Scripture, it's optimal that it's something that I enjoy. you're a note taker, feel free to write this down. Look at this later alongside. If you, As you do your Tuesdays together, I would encourage you guys to be doing that. We as a church family, I, if you are unfamiliar, we provide a follow-up devotion that you can do any morning you want to. I honestly call it Tuesdays together because it's alliterative. 
and Thursdays together does not sound alliterative. So I, I encourage you just to go through our text for the day again and just consider some quotes and some citations from history, some other texts that come alongside of that that would help us to see, okay, are we advancing as God's people in the, this area for the sake of Christ and His kingdom? Are, are we seeing ourselves as people who delight and meditate on God's Word placed in prime positions for the glory of God to the ends of the earth that just so happens to bypass our neighbors. Because we cannot get to the ends of the earth without passing our streets. Bless, James says this, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So we do see that the joy in this passage, God's delight, it's a possibility for us. We also see that delighting in God for the believer, it's, it's necessary. Go with me to verse 3. This person, the blessed man, is like a tree planted by streams of water. That yield its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. So, we see that the text has taken us to a place where we, as those who would claim to be blessed by God, we are planted somewhere because there is a source of life outside of us. And this does not necessarily talk about seasons. Texans, let me explain to you what a season is. In most parts of the world that we would go to, there is a season called winter. And it's cold. Cold is what it feels like when you open your refrigerator. <laughs> There's also a season called fall, which is less cold but includes more football. There is a season called summer, which is what we live in perpetually. And there is a season called spring, which is like summer, but a little cooler. So, those are what seasons are. But what this text says to us is that for those of us who are planted by God, these seasons, though there will be difficulties, though there will be stresses, though there will be frustrations, that we have a source of life that exists outside of us, and we're right there beside of it. So, the man who meditates and delights in God's Word sees this scripture not as the stream of water because Jesus is the stream of water. But God's Word is how we are rooted in the world around us so that we can get our life from Jesus. He talks about fruit here. And this doesn't say that we're people who are laborers working to get fruit from the trees. But for those of us who are planted beside this stream that is Jesus, that fruit comes naturally. There will be times where it doesn't come. But we always trust that it's coming. When we're not bearing fruit because we're planted by the source of life that is Jesus, we know that there's a season and opportunity for us to bear much fruit. Scripture's never a burden. Scriptures carry us. 
carry us when we don't want to be carried. They hold us when we don't want to be held. God using His Word to show life in us. When Shepherd was three, we started to, to uh, move from books with just you know quick kids' poems in them on every page to where we were reading him other literature. Uh, one book that stands out to me, and it's still his favorite movie, is The Chronicles of Narnia. It's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. That's the best movie of the Chronicles of Narnia series. The rest are hot garbage. But when you read through those books, there is lots of truth there, and it's lots of poetic imagery of, of God and who God is for us. And there's a picture in the silver chair, one of those books, about God as the stream. And, and as you know, there's a lion named Aslan. He's on the move. But Aslan is, is there and he meets with a little girl named Jill. And here's the conversation that they have. When he meets with her, they're sitting beside a stream of water. And he says to her, are you not thirsty, said the lion. Well, I'm dying of thirst, said Jill. Then drink, said the lion. So I need you to suspend the belief of you having a conversation with the lion and go with me. May I, could I, would you mind going away while I do, said Jill. The lion answered this only by a look and a very low growl. And as Jill gazed at its motionless bulk, she may as well have asked the whole mountain to move aside for her convenience. The delicious rippling noise of the stream was driving this thirsty girl nearly frantic. Will you promise not to do anything to me? She asked. I make no promise, said the lion. Jill was so thirsty now that without noticing it, she had come a step nearer. And she asked, well, do you eat little girls? <clears throat> I've swallowed up girls and boys, women and men, kings and emperors, cities and realms, said the lion. He did not say this as if it were boasting nor as if it were sorry, nor as if it were angry. The lion just said it. Well, then I dare not come and drink, said Jill. Then you'll die of thirst. Oh dear, said the little girl, coming another step closer. I suppose I must go look for another stream. And Aslan replied, There is no other stream. In a world where it is easy for us to find our source, be something lesser or for us to search for an identity that is something other 
the continual reminder of Jesus is that he is the only stream. And the way in which that we see life making itself known through us is by being rooted in his word. Because when you come to the water, you're coming to the lion. And when you come to the lion, you're coming on the lion's terms. The wicked, you see a transition here. They're not like this. They're like chaff that the wind drives away. You see this agrarian language of a tree rooted firmly beside a water and then wind taking something into the distance. It reminds me of when I go to the mailbox with a child. When you've been out of town for a few days and you're making sure your child does not get run over by someone driving haphazardly in the road as you hold their hand and you try to, to bundle up all of your mail. But this gust of humid wind comes through and takes your mail in every direction. This is what the scriptures say will eventually happen with the wicked. But what about when the wicked don't sound wicked? What about when the wicked don't look wicked? What about when they look like us, sound like us? Quote from history, As a Christian, I have no duty to allow myself to be cheated. I have the duty to be a fighter for truth and for justice. Adolf Hitler. Sounds like something that we should hold to. But he's not rooted in anything substantial. Because what this scripture says is that every tribe, tongue, and nation will worship the Lamb. What, what the scriptures tell us is that in Christ... There is no difference. Like we are all in Jesus. The hope for the world is Jesus and being in Him. No Greek, nor Jew, male, nor female. Yeah, we watched yesterday and the day before as men and some women, many of which would claim to share our faith, stood in opposition to the very Jesus that we worship. And I would pray that as a body of believers, that we would not only stand against that corporately, and the venom-filled, hate-filled rhetoric that it encompasses, but this idea of 
racial superiority, of white supremacy, would be something that we, as those who claim to follow Jesus, would vocally express frustration and disdain and that we would distance ourselves from. And because Christ is our righteousness, we distance ourselves from godless acts in the name of God because these people, they are not Christians no matter how much they say that they are. That to be the people of Jesus in our area, we would see the world as Jesus sees the world. And that our desire and our hope would be to stand as people who are planted firmly beside the living water. Finding our source of life from Him and Him alone. And not from anything that's within us, no matter how much we think that what is within us matters. The wicked will not stand in the day of judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the ways of the wicked, they will perish. So, if we are going to be the people of Jesus, empowered by Jesus for the purpose of Jesus, then it seems to me that we would live our lives receiving every bit of energy that we have from the source that is Jesus. He actually says that in John 7. He's at a party because Jesus usually was. His disciples are like, hey, why don't you go somewhere else because they're not really into you right now. And then Jesus shows up on the last day of the feast in John 7, 37. It's a great day. Jesus stood up and he cried out. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So Jesus says that the source of life for the believer is not found within, it's found outside. And to drink from him. So as we pray and as we consider what it means for us to to be God's people in a world that seems ever more godless, is that we would lean into Jesus and that we would represent him in a way that says we find our identity in nothing other than him. So we look into his word, we look into his, what scriptures teach us, and we see that's where we root ourselves. Jesus, just do this with me right now. I invite you just to bow your heads. Well, before we start singing, because that's the next thing we're supposed to do in this service, I just I want us to do this. Can we just take a few minutes to pray about 
us being God's people in this community? Because your neighbors don't always look like you. They don't sound like you. They don't talk like you. We are different and unique and wonderfully and fearfully made in the image of God no matter the pigment of our skin. I would pray that we would see what it means to be Jesus and to, and to get the source of our life from Jesus. So before we start singing, I want us just to, to take a few minutes and pray personally. Lord, Lord, push anything inside of me out through the power of your word. So you... you Pray a prayer to that effect right now. Just because I want us to. And I encourage us to. Lord, less of me, more of you. Those are the words of John. John the Baptist. Jesus, I want less of me and more of you. Can we pray that, right? Jesus, I want less of me and more of you. Jesus, I want to delight in you. Saying that is just a good step towards us living that. I want to delight and meditate on you. just to realize we get to advance God's kingdom together. We're united in this together. And, and I know that there are people in this room who have been going through difficult things over the past six months. And some of them are going through difficult things right now. We're a pretty tight-knit group here. If one of the people that you love in this room has been walking through difficulty or is walking through difficulty, let's just move towards them right now. Let's take a minute to pray over them in this service. Go right now. Go right now. You know your people. You know your people. Go. Go.
Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Continue to pray, feel free. Nor stands in the counsel, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. But the way of the wicked will perish. Why do the nations rage and people plot in vain? The king of the earth set themselves and rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointing, saying, Let us burst their their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then He will speak to them in His wrath and terrify them in His fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord says to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. O Lord, how many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, There is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me. My glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord. And he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again and for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord. Save me, O my God. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessings be on your people. Jesus, you are good. So let us always hold tightly to your kingdom and loosely to the things of this world. Let us move forward as people who are finding our delight in your word. Let us push one another towards that. Let us be there for one another. Let us hold our place and see our value as people who are made in the image of God. We trust you, Jesus. And it is in your name that we pray all these things and all God's people stand and say...